Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for your word and the way it speaks to us. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, apply your word to our hearts this morning. Lord, as we talk about things that have the ability to kill us, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would ferret out those things in our hearts that you want to speak about to each of us. So, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be an open book before you today and that you would connect our minds to what's going on in our hearts so that we would see with your eyes, hear with your ears what's going on in our own hearts so that you would bring conviction in our our lives. And, Lord, that your name would be glorified and magnified in our lives and that you would be honored by those who call themselves Christians. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, most of you, if you've been coming here for a while, know that there's one thing in my life that I've always loved. I don't do it quite as often as I used to, but that's basically daredevil stunts and crazy stuff. I love that stuff. I mean, I just totally into it. And uh, I want to share this morning a few other people that are totally into rad stuff, extreme sports, that kind of thing. And um, you've probably heard of some of these people because they're kind of famous, actually. First person is Sarah Burke. Uh, she's a native of Barrie. And she loves freestyle skiing. I mean, that is her, her joy. I mean, she just, she's really good at it, actually. She, uh, she won the world championship freestyle, freestyle skiing back in 2005. And since then has won the uh, world, uh, what is it called? The, the Winter X Games. She won gold five times. I don't know anyone else that's done that. Five times at freestyle skiing, she, skiing, she lo- successfully lobbied the International Olympic Committee uh, to have the superpipe added to the 2014 Olympics. Uh, she's an absolute awesome lady, and uh, in a televised interview, she said, that's what her lives are. It's all about being on the hill. It's amazing. It's where I met my husband, Roy, where we play, where we live, and hopefully where we die. I want to introduce to you someone else, Mark Fu of Hawaii. Absolutely loved surfing, of course. Totally into it. Uh, he's a rad surfer, and uh, he actually hosted a, a TV show talking about uh, surfing. And on that show, once he, quoted, he was quoted saying this, If you want to ride the ultimate wave, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. Dean Potter, another guy. Uh, this guy's crazy. I mean, really crazy. He loved free climbing cliffs. Uh, Yosemite, the, the, the captain, free climbed that thing. Oh, my goodness. He loved slack climbing. Slack, uh, slack lining. Do you know what slack lining is? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you do. What, what's slack lining? Exactly. Can you imagine doing a tightrope walk, except the rope's not tight? And he does it 3,000 feet up in the air over cliffs and stuff. This guy's crazy. And, but his, his love of his life is base jumping with a wingsuit. I mean, that's what he really, he loved. In fact, he has this video. I watched it just the other day. And he's got his dog in his backpack. And he jumps off a 3,000-foot cliff and flies down with his wing. And he's got the camera trained on the dog. And the dog's like bug-eyed like this, looking around like, holy, what is going on here? And and this is what he says. Uh, The joy we have is just off the charts. We love it up there. He's talking about his dog and himself. 
Will this joy lead to harm or death, he says. Afterwards, he said, it's more than just a fantasy. Oh, we're going to be able to fly together. It's also, oh, we might die together. <laughs> this is what he says on the video. It's pretty wild. And then maybe you've heard of uh, Steve Irwin. Loved wildlife. Just loved crocodiles. He's, he had the, the hit show, The Crocodile Hunter. He's always with the wild animals, doing crazy stuff with them. Um, and he's quite famous. You know that on his sixth birthday, he got a python for a birthday present. And when he was nine years old, he wrestled his first crocodile. I mean, I don't know what these parents were thinking, but anyways, the guy was crazy. He loved wildlife. He wanted to conserve wildlife. That was his whole goal in life, in which he, he says he considered himself a wildlife warrior. My mission is to save the world's endangered species. You know, all four of these folk loved what they did. They absolutely loved their adventures. In fact, you could say that they had a fatal attraction to the sport they loved. Because the sport they loved was the sport that killed them. The thing they loved killed them, all of them. Sarah did an awesome trick, but landed on her head, had a heart attack, and never woke up from it. Mark rode a wave that was so huge, when it crashed, pushed him under so far that he never came back up for air. Dean made a tiny misjudgment as he flew between two huge rocks and hit the rock wall at 100 plus miles an hour. And Steve, of course, you know, was swimming with a stingray and the stingray stung him to death. All of these people loved something, just loved it. But it was a fatal attraction and they all died from the thing they loved. Isn't it ironic to love something that kills you? You know, in our Bible story today, and it's found in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Maybe we can turn to it there. We find the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they had a fatal attraction not normally associated with death. But they really did have it. So let's, uh, I'm just going to read through Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11 just to get the story straight, because it was a little bit off this morning. <laughs> we want to hear God's word. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was fun to do it that way. Now, there was a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira. They sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how, has it how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, 
and they will carry you out also. And at that moment she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young man came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So I want to ask you, what do you think was the love of Ananias and Fire's life? Money. Absolutely. They love money. They couldn't bear to give all the money to the church. But they loved something else because it wasn't just the fact that they kept back some of the money that caused God's wrath to fall on them. What, there was something else going on. What was the other thing that they loved? Popularity, recognition. Yeah, absolutely. That is what they loved. They loved having people say, oh, did you hear about Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> they dumped that whole lot of cash. I can't believe that. That's incredible. And they loved to hear that story going around. They maybe had heard the story about Barnabas in the, in the chapter before, when Barnabas had dropped in the whole load of wad of cash from the sale of his property, and people were talking about it and whispering about it. Did you hear what Barnabas did? Son of encouragement. My goodness, that's amazing. And they wanted a little bit of that recognition for themselves. They had no idea that this would be a fatal attraction. Now I want to ask you, how many of you love money? And I don't see any hands going up. <laughs> okay, a few people are being honest. <laughs> How many of you would say, oh, no, you know, I've learned my lesson from Ananias and Fire. I don't love money. It has no concern for me. I'll give 20 bucks to a person who can say that, honestly. Yeah, you know what's going to happen, aren't, don't you? <laughs> You're all trying to figure out, now, how can I do that? Can I go up there and ask for the money and, and say I don't really want it or need it? How does, yeah, we're all trying to figure that out. It doesn't work, sorry. Someone might figure it out afterwards and come. And I'll, I'll be out 20 bucks. But the issue is that we all have some of that. We all have some love of money. We'd rather have it than not have it. And who doesn't like a little recognition? Who doesn't do things so that other people will approve? We all do that. We've been trained right from day one that, that we need to have some recognition. And we appreciate it when people appreciate us and say nice things about us. And say, oh, what a great job you did. And we go, oh, we just love that. It's one of the dangers of being a pastor, actually. Constantly up front in front of people. And if you do a good job, people go like, oh, that was great, Pastor. What are, you know? and, and after a while, you can start just doing it so that you get the applause. And that can be the main ingredient of why. But I think all of our lives are filled with these things. So why aren't we all dead? <laughs> well, hopefully, you don't lie about it to God. That was really the key issue with Ananias and Sapphira, wasn't it? Yes, they had these fatal attractions. And I believe these attractions in us can kill us in certain ways. But they, had this fa they took the fatal attraction to a next step and decided that somehow they could get away with doing it publicly before God in his church, before his holy presence. And that's what I guess God took exception to 
and caused their death. They weren't afraid of the supernatural. You know, the case of Ananias and Sapphira really uh, illustrates the fact that even believers can be led into sin, into flagrant, bold sin. And it's Satan that filled their hearts to lie. Do you believe that you, you have the possibility of falling into blatant sin before God? We do. P- Peter says to him, you know, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And you know, before I, I came up here this morning, and yesterday when I was preparing this, and the day before when I was preparing this, there was that sense like, Bill, you're going to be standing in front of 200 people. Is, your, is what you're portraying to them really the truth? And sadly, I have to say, no, it's not always the truth. And God is here watching all the time. And I had to spend some time in repentance and in asking God's forgiveness just to be standing here to preach this. Not because I was worried that God was going to strike me dead, but because I'm concerned for God's glory, for his holiness, and to be able to live a life that reflects that aspect of God. And I believe that if we all look at ourselves carefully, we will find in our hearts a deceitful person, someone who actually tries or thinks occasionally that I can fool God. I can somehow get away with this and nobody will know. And in that nobody will know, well, God won't mind. Comes in, right? Have you, had you had that thought? Well, God won't mind and no one else will know. So I'm going to get away with it. I've had the thought. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But I've had that thought. And it's a, it's a vile thought. Uh, Peter said, you, you had it in your heart to test the spirit of the Lord. Covetousness, hypocrisy, desire for the praise of men all played a part in their demise. It was lying to God and testing God's spirit that caused them to be struck down. Now, I don't know about you, but I preach a God of mercy and grace, and that in Christ Jesus there's forgiveness of sins and love everlasting, and that God, his mercies are never failing and never ending and go on and on. But it doesn't seem to connect with this story. Like, what happened here? Where was the God of mercy? Where was the God whose mercies never fail and are everla- from everlasting to everlasting, his mercy endures. Where, where was he in this story? Well, first of all, the Bible is absolutely clear that it is God's prerogative to judge sin. And that as a righteous God, he is the just judge of all the earth. Uh, The Bible says that whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed, and that 
without remedy. It's God's prerogative. And secondly, I think we can get a clue as to maybe why God chose these two to punish in such a, a radical way of all the people that have ever sinned. I mean, there's people that seem to have done worse things than that. Blasphemed God, defamed his name, and done horrible things to the Bible, burned it, defecated on it, all kinds of crazy things. You'd think that, you know, God would just kill them instantly. He doesn't always do that. And so I think we can get a clue if we go through the pages of the Bible and find where God's judgment fell on other people. Of course, you remember uh, soon after God gave the Ten Commandments uh, on Mount Sinai, the Israelites were walking around the desert, and on one of the Sabbath days, a man was caught collecting wood. And uh, they brought this man to Moses, and they they didn't really know what to do with him, so they kind of locked him up for the night. I'm not sure they didn't have a prison or anything. They were out in the desert. I'm not sure how they did that. But they confined him, and then they talked to Moses, and Moses went and talked to God. And this is what God says to Moses. He says, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. Hold on a sec. Capital punishment for gathering some wood on, on Sabbath? Seems a little extreme, doesn't it? But you see, this man was one of the Israelites that was standing before the mountain of God, saw the fire of smoke down on the mountain, the billowing smoke and the the flames and the, the ground shaking, and he heard God say, seven days thou shalt labor, and the seventh shall be holy unto the Lord, and thou shalt not work on it. He heard those words from God himself, booming in a voice so loud that the people said, Moses, Moses, please tell God to stop talking to us. We can't stand his voice. It's too much for us. You talk to God, and we'll listen to you. Please. It's too much. This guy was one of those people. And maybe he was sort of the first offender of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And God dealt harshly with him, and he was stoned to death for his sin. Now, then there's another guy. His name's Achan. You probably heard the story of Achan. Uh, the Israelites were about were, uh, attacked Jericho, and, and God had told the people all of the things in Jericho, everything you see, everything you touch, all of its beauty and splendor is dedicated to me, and you're to burn it all for me. It's the first fruits of your capturing of the, a city in Canaan, and everything's dedicated to me. The next city, you guys can have some of the wealth, but this city is dedicated to God. And so the Israelites came in. You know the story of Jericho. Awesome story of God completing the battle for them, doing something that they couldn't possibly do, and just defeating the walls of Jericho. And, uh, and then the next city is the little city of Ai. Nothing compared to Jericho. Ah, we can just send 3,000 men over there. And the 3,000 men get over there to, uh, to defeat the city. And this little tiny city wipes out 36 of their men. And the, and the Israelites go running from these men. And the Israelites are all upset. What's going on? What's going on? And God says, oh, get up off your face. Stop crying. There's sin in the camp. That's what's going on. You can't stand before your enemies if there's sin in the camp. And, uh, and they start going, whoa, who is it? Who is it? And they, they take lots. They find out 
there's a man named Achan. And he confesses, oh, I was there in the city and I saw a gold bar of 50 talents of gold and 200 uh, uh, shekels, sorry, 50 shekels worth of gold and, 50 sh and 200 shekels worth of silver and two suits of clothing. And I, I don't know, I just wanted them all of a sudden and I, and I took them and I, and I put them in my tent and I buried them. And sure enough, they went to the tent, they dug it up, and there it was. They laid it out before the Lord. And what did Joshua say to the man? He said, God's wrath will now come upon you. And he and his whole family were stoned to death for that sin of taking the dedicated things dedicated to God, taking it for themselves. You know, this was the First, just as they entered into the land, a new era for the, king, for the kingdom. New era for God's people. And God was concerned about the holiness of his people as they went into the land. You know, what I think happens when, when the word gets out that these people got stoned, that people will be very careful about what they did and didn't do. And then you've heard the story of Uzzah. Uzzah was a man who just uh, was taking care of the ark of the Lord. David had come to power as the new king of Israel, and, and the ark of the covenant wasn't in the temple. And so David went to go get it, put the ark on a cart, and uh, Uzzah and his brother were beside the cart just making sure everything was okay. And David was dancing before the Lord, and there was tambourines and shouting and Oh, it was a great party. And all of a sudden, the oxen stumbled a little bit, and Uzzah puts out his hand to steady, make sure the Ark of the Covenant doesn't fall off the cart. Boom! God kills him instantly. Whew. David's so upset, he just says, stop everything, I'm going home, that's it. This Ark isn't coming into Jerusalem. I don't want this Ark. I don't want that thing near me or any of my people. He's freaked him right out. What had happened there? Well, David was setting up worship, renewing the worship in the kingdom. David was going to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And God knew that. And God was sending a warning shot to David that he needed to be obedient to God. Do you know that later on in David's, David's life, when David was disobedient, tens of thousands of people died because of his disobedience? And I believe this warning was a warning for that. To be obedient to the Lord. And David didn't heed it. The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be carried on poles by priests. Not on an ox cart the way the Philistines had delivered it back to Israel. That wasn't the method. And God's, you might say, well, God seems a little particular God seems a little bit uh, wrathful, vengeful. What, what, I, I, you know, don't we live, don't we serve a God who is loving and gracious and merciful? What's going on here? And you might say, well, you know, those were Old Testament stories. That's the way God dealt with sin. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was very clear. The people were told, if you sin, judgment will happen. 
if you obey, you will be blessed. I mean, it's very black and white. It's all through the Old Testament. And so, yeah, okay, we get it. If you sin, death. If you obey, life and goodness, blessing. But we live in the New Testament. We have Christ's blood who has washed our sins away and made us new. And so, um, you know, we can sin and God will wash it away in, in the blood of Christ. And, you know, he'll, he will separate us from our sin as far as the west is from the east. As, far, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is God's love for us. So, hey, we don't need to worry. Well, a little news flash for you folks. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira were part of the new covenant. They were part of a church. They had the blood of Christ washed away their sins. Their sins had been separated from them as far as the east is from the west. God loved them as high as the heavens are above the earth. But they were still judged. And we kind of go like, Pastor, help us get our theology straight here. How does this work? <laughs> well, sometimes I have to scratch my own head too. How, how does this work, Lord? What's happened here? How, how, did, how did this happen? Now, some would argue, well, Ananias and Sapphira, they simply weren't Christians. They weren't Christians, so, you know, God's judgment fell on them. They obviously weren't Christians because they weren't obedient to God. Okay, first of all, how many of you have lied in your life? Okay, you're not all, you're none of you are Christians then. <laughs> okay, sorry, <laughs> it's okay, you stay. <laughs> you're actually Christians, okay? Just because you say a lie doesn't make you not a Christian. And just because they lied to the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily, and I say necessarily, mean they weren't Christians. Maybe they weren't, I don't really know. The story, we're not told whether they're Christians or not. It's not clear. And people only surmise that they weren't Christians because of God's judgment, not because of their sin. And I kind of disagree with that idea. I believe they were Christians. Uh, although I, I, I don't have any proof of that per se. Uh, they're active members in a church, the first church, a Holy Spirit-filled church, powerful church, and we have no indication from the story that they weren't believers. But what the story indicates, loud and clear, is that the God of love and mercy associated with grace in Jesus Christ is still the God of judgment. In fact, God hasn't changed. God today, the God we serve, is not any different from the God that was part of the Old Testament. And this event kind of connected the two. In fact, we have another death in the New Testament that was instantaneous, the death of Herod for supposing, allowing himself to be praised as a god, and God smote him. So yeah, we have almost as many deaths by God in the New Testament as we do in the Old Testament. God hasn't changed any. And we like to believe and think that he has changed, but he hasn't changed. Sin is now seen by God not only to be an affront to him, like it was in the Old Testament, but also an affront to the incredible sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. Now that, I want to read to you, I think, the scariest passage in the entire Bible. Okay, it's found in Hebrews chapter 10. This is what it says. 
If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the, receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Whoa. That, put, that should put terror in your heart. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the truth. The, receiving the truth means becoming a, a believer. Receiving the gospel and responding to it. No sacrifice for sins is left. Well, if our sins can't be atoned for, then we are in big trouble. But only a fearful expectation of the judgment of God and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And here's the explanation for those few verses. It comes in the next few verses. He says, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know the guy that was gathering sticks? There's a few witnesses that saw that, and he died without mercy because of it. You know, Achan, they, the elders found all this loot in his tent, and they said, hey, he deserves to die. And he was stoned to death because of it. And this is the logic, in verse 29. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace. Do you see the logic here? God says, look, I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. But you just keep on living like it didn't matter. You keep on sinning, and you do it willfully right to my face. And the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, he will also reap. God doesn't go like, oh, well, it's all okay. You're, you're, you're in the blood of Christ, so it doesn't even matter that you mock my son's death by your sin. No, God's not like that. God is still a God of judgment. And there is a line that people can cross. And that is willful disobedience to God, having no regret or sorrow for our sins in our heart. And keeping on doing it in, even though God's spirit is poking us, poking us, poking us. You know, the Apostle Paul, it said, uh, Saul, it says that the Holy Spirit was poking him. He knew there was something wrong with him attacking Christians and putting them in jail. And God's spirit kept poking him. And finally, God opened up the heavens and called down to him from heaven and confronted him about his sin. And you know, the Holy Spirit pokes us. And if we just ignore that and willfully carry on in a sinful lifestyle, God says, you know what? There comes a point where I take my hands off and I, I reject you. This is why I think that Ananias and Sapphira were, were believers. They deliberately insulted the Spirit of God. They worked it out together, actually, and came before God. And God was starting his church. He was setting up a new community. And he wanted that community to understand that, yes, grace is free and can be offered to anyone. But he also wanted them to understand that it cannot be mocked. It cannot be trifled with. That God is still holy and just and righteous. And he still needs to be honored with reverence. And when you come into church, you don't stand in front of the God's priests or, or his appointed leaders and lie 
And that God's judgment will fall on a person who does that. You know, in, in, ch- in chapter 4, verse 33, it says this. And we'll put it up on the slide. Uh, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Christ. Do you know that there was great power going on? Great signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and Ananias and Sapphira saw those miracles. They were aware of God's greatness, and they were aware that God was real and present, and yet they lied to him for the sake of money and fame. And that's why God struck them down. Notice, when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead, what happened? What what happened when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead? Anybody? People were afraid. Yeah, and rightly so, I would say. Like, whoa, did you hear about that? Did you hear about this guy? He he lied about how much money he gave? Was was Ananias a generous guy? Did he give quite a bit of money? I think he did. he, he must have given enough to make it convincing that it was, should have been the full sale price. So it wasn't that he wasn't generous. And, and Peter is very clear. You know, Ananias, when you had the money, when you had the land, it was yours to do with whatever you wanted. And even when, after you sold it, you got the money, it was still yours to do with whatever you wanted. But when you come in here and say that it's all the money, uh, now you're lying about it. Now there's a problem. Great fear seized the church, the whole church, all who heard about these events. The Bible uses the word great three times, three different ways in the book of Acts. It's used actually four times. It talks about the church having great power. They had great grace and favor upon them. And finally, they had great fear of the Lord. I think these things go together. When there's great power and there's great grace, There ought to be great fear as well. And the holy things of God need to be reverenced, and and we need to be in awe of them. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a reminder to us today that God sees our heart. Remember when uh, David was being chosen as the king and, and his older brother looked pretty cool to Samuel? And God said to him, The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And I believe... That God has called you to be in this place this morning so that God can look at your heart, my heart, and see what's in there. And he's shining his flashlight on there right now. And some of you are thinking, wow, those are pretty stern words you're sharing, Pastor Bill. Those really are in the New Testament, really? And the Holy Spirit is starting to point out some things in your heart that he's not too happy with. They're going on in there. And he's like, and you know what they are. I don't have to tell you what they are. The Holy Spirit's already done his work in our hearts. You know, when we have communion, there's a warning about taking communion. Why? Communion is holy. We, we treat it differently than any other meal. We have silver platters. People come up. It's very formal. We do it the same way every time. We only get a little bit of, of uh, fruit of the vine and a little bit of cracker. And, every, and it's hushed. It's quiet. Why? Because we want to honor the Lord's death. And we recognize it's this very sacred thing, the Lord's body, that redeems us. 
And the Apostle Paul gives this warning. Those who eat and drink without discerning the Lord's, the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. If we don't honor the, the holy things of God, when it says fallen asleep, he's really talking about death. They've died. And Paul is, and, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, the reason that people are dying and getting sick is because they're not honoring the holy things of God. Just like, they, like Uzzah didn't honor the, the ark. And uh, these others didn't honor the things dedicated to God or the commandments itself. There wasn't an honoring going on. The Bible says that the time is coming, that judgment must begin with the house of God. And if it first began with us, what shall the end be of them who obey not the gospel of God? Dear children, John says, dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. If we are caught up in sin, habitual sin that keeps on going, and we do it purposefully, we're not of God. And we need to challenge what's going on in our hearts. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. Wow, strong words. Jesus told the compromising church of Thyatira, all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to his deeds. You who are gathered here are an especially blessed people. Now, I know you're all sitting there very quiet and solemn, because it's, it's, and I'm glad you are, because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But I want you to know that you are a blessed people because you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe that his blood has washed you from sin. You've experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit that makes, you, makes it possible to stop sinning. And you are on that pathway, and the sin in your heart bothers you. And that's why I know you're a believer. And you repent from sin. But you are in a particularly vulnerable place because you're so blessed. Jesus talked about the fact that those who don't know about salvation, don't know about the Christ's blood being shed for them, don't know about all the good things that God has done for them, they might be punished by God, but it won't be a drastic punishment. But he says those who really know God, a lot will be required of them. Jesus said this, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Ananias and Sapphira didn't appreciate the grace that had been given to them. They didn't appreciate the power of God being working miracles among them. And they took it for granted. And they died. I believe the wages of sin is death. And I believe that if in our hearts we treasure money more than God, 
where we're more concerned about how we look than how we please God, we fall into the same trap of Ananias and Sapphira, and I believe there'll be spiritual death in our lives. And we will wonder, why is God so distant? Why doesn't God answer my prayer? What's going on? And the fact of the matter is, there's sin in the camp, and God cannot bless your life. And he's going, that doesn't work. And do you know that if that's going on and there's unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, that you actually hinder the whole church of God? That the whole church of God is being hindered from having the powerful work of God being displayed amongst them. I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were killed because they were interfering with what God wanted to do in his church. And if God let it go on, the church would lose its power and the apostles wouldn't be able to do their, their works of power. Just like when the Israelites got to, got to Ai and they couldn't fight the Lord's battles because there was sin in the camp. Whoa, scary stuff. Satan loves to fill our hearts with fatal attractions. Satan loves to fill our hearts with so much fatal attraction that we think we can, get, we can lie to God. We think we can act like a Christian and not be a Christian. And so I want to challenge you today to evaluate your own heart. And I want to challenge you with the words that someone wrote that I read the other day. And he wrote this. I met the strangest man the other day. He says he believes in the Bible, but he never reads it. He said he thought well of the church, of which he's a member, but he never attends. He said a man should be honest with God in money matters, but he never ties. He said the younger generation needs the Lord, but he doesn't lead them in that direction. He said the church needs dedicated church members, but he isn't one. He said the church should do more ministering to people, but he doesn't help. He is critical of the way the church is run, but he never participates. He says prayer changes things, but he never prays. Strange man indeed. I find it a lot easier to stand up here and talk about this stuff and actually do it. Talk about prayer, talk about faithfulness, talk about reading the word. I want to share with you about the hypocritical hearts that we have in Christian circles, okay? The Barna group did a, a survey on the church. 29% of Christian adults surveyed in 1997, I imagine this is in the States, believe that the Bible commands us to tithe. 29% of all Christians, okay? And um, 17% of Christians, so roughly just over half of those people who believe that tithing's biblical, claim to have tithed in that year. But according to the statistics gathered from church record books, only 3% actually tithed. You get what's going on there? People are, they're lying to God, or to the survey at least. I don't know, maybe it's not God. But they're saying, oh yeah, I tithe. 17% of them are saying, yeah, well, almost 30% say the tithing is something Christians should do. 
Half of them say, yeah, but and I tithe. You tithe? Yeah, well, I tithe. But only 3% actually do. What are statistics? We say one thing, we do another. Isn't that the definition of hypocrisy? You know, one of the pastors associated with the uh, International Community of Alliance Churches preached a sermon one time many years ago. I'm not going to say which what the pastor's name. But he preached a sermon on tithing. And afterwards, another pastor came to him and said, Look, I, I've seen the record books. You don't tithe. What gives? And I think the man actually stepped down for that reason from the ministry here, here in the ICAC. Heard a story about a $5 bill that met a $100 bill and said, Hey, where you been? Haven't seen you around here much. And the 100 answered, uh, as the 5 listened enviously, Well, I've been hanging out at the casinos, went out on a cruise, did the rounds of the ship, came back home for a while, went to a couple baseball games, to the mall, that kind of stuff. How about you? What have you been up to? The $5 bill responded, Oh, you know, same old stuff. Church, church, church. <laughs> Yeah, where are we spending our money? Watch out for the fatal attractions in life. Um, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the passage right before today's passage, Acts chapter 4. I want to show you some cool things. You know, this, today's message has been primarily <laughs> about fear, wrath of God, judgment on sin, all that kind of stuff. But I want to turn it around because I believe that that's not really where the Christian ought to focus. Yes, we need to have the healthy fear of God and we need to confess our sins. But the Christian's focus is on, on greater and higher and better things, greater things. And those things are found in the, in the verses right before this. Uh, where, where it's demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt that Christians can be generous. They can have a love for God that, where money doesn't count at all. They can have a desire for God's kingdom that absolutely diminishes their own personhood. And they're not concerned at all about how they look, but they want others to look good. Because that's what the church of the first century looked like. It was awesome place. Look at, look at it in verse 32 of chapter 4. All the believers were with one heart and mind. There was unity in the church. They were all with one heart and mind. They were all passionate about the things of God. And I believe that, that we need to have a unity of the Spirit in the house of God. And when that's our focus, when our desire is to be united with the people around us. You know, when I come here to, to the Burning Hearts House of Prayer, I'm all, I love coming there. And I'll tell you why. I wish I could do it more often, actually. Because the people that are meeting there have a burning passion for the things of God. And whenever I go, I, sometimes, I admit, sometimes I'm like, oh, man, i got to go lead a prayer meeting. What a terrible thought for a pastor. But you know what? When I get there, it always changes. And by the time I'm done, I'm always like, well, that was pretty fun. I, 
why, why do I not like, like, why do I complain about coming? It's maybe because I'm tired or whatever. But I realize that it's a really enjoyable time because of the people who are there are committed to prayer. They're passionate about prayer. They're passionate about the things of God. And they love God. And it shows, and it's a lot of fun to be around those people because together we encourage one another to love and good deeds. It's awesome. We have a unity of spirit. And then it goes on in, in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Now, I want, to, I want you to note something here. God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. But who's getting the glory? The apostles, you know? Like, they're the ones doing all the big miracles. We just, we just do the little ones, you know, the people. And yet there didn't seem to be any concern for that. They weren't concerned that the apostles were getting all the glory. They were, they were of one mind for the mission that they had. And the mission was to save as many people as possible. And that was their goal. And I believe that when we have missions like this, the unity of the Spirit, the desire for the things of God, and coupled with a desire for ministry, wanting people to be saved, wanting people to be developed in their Christian life, God's there. He's present there. And this whole issue with sin will diminish in our lives and it will disappear. And then finally, they didn't care about money anymore. It was like their eyes were so focused on the kingdom and on God's glory that money didn't matter at all. And they were people selling their, their assets. You know what I mean? They're selling their assets to carry on daily expenses. <laughs> to me, I mean, I read this and I go like, oh, I have a hard time with that. I'm, I'm not good about selling assets to meet daily expenses. That just doesn't sound like good financial management to me. And yet that's what they were doing. And it was powerful. They were selling land to help feed the poor. It was amazing. Look what it says. No one claimed any of their possession was their own. But they shared everything they had. There was no needy person among them, and from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. And Joseph, a, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Church, I want to challenge you to care about our brothers and sisters in the Lord. There are lots of people in this congregation who have needs, all kinds of needs. And God has called us to help, help them with those things. You know, down through the ages, the church has tried to do communal living a few times. Most of the time, it hasn't worked out real well. Um, sometimes, like the Amish, they've gotten into kind of weird, weird practices of, of not having any, you know, chrome or something. Strange things have happened. I'm not sure that, that God is calling us to live communally like these people did. Uh, it, I think it's fine if we do. Don't, don't let me stop you. It is biblical. It's absolutely fine. But I think the key issue is caring about people. And allowing your goods and the gifts God has given you to be used for the greater good of the kingdom. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the world needing our support. We talked about, you know, Project Egypt and, 
and Operation Christmas Child and, and maybe uh, helping a, a sponsor family come, sponsoring a family to come to Ottawa by our church, all these things. But today I want to challenge you about something else about generosity, and that is to one another and to being really generous about things, offering comfort and help or whatever to other people, giving of ourselves sacrificially. You know, I'm pretty sure it was a sacrifice for Barnabas to sell that piece of land, give it away. And what about you? You know, a few years ago, the Seattle, Seattle had a special Olympics, and there were nine contestants, all physically or mentally challenged, and they all assembled on the starting line for a 100-yard dash. And at the gun, the contestants all started out, not exactly in a dash, but with relish to run the race to, the finish, to finish and win. And that is everybody except one boy who stumbled on the track, tripped and rolled over a couple times and started to cry. And the others who were running ahead of the boy, they, they kind of looked back at the boy and, they, and when they realized what had happened, they, slow, they slowed down and then they, they stopped. And they all went back <laughs> and helped the boy to his feet. And then they all linked arms with the boy and they all walked down to the finish line and they all crossed the finish line together. And the crowds went wild. They cheered and went, wow, that's amazing. You know, some of the handicapped people have a lot to teach us about being a team and being united and caring about one another and loving one another. And we need to care about them. We need to care about each other. There's so many things that, that we can do. By the time I got to a bulletin, there was none left, so I don't have the little form that's in the bulletin. But in your bulletin, if, you're, if you have a bulletin, I'd like you to pull it out. Because I believe that, that when we hear something like today, we can do one of two things. We can just shove all of that. We, we can maybe do a quick prayer of repentance, or we can just push it away and not worry about God's judgment in our life. Or we can change. And I believe that change needs to have a positive aspect to it as well. That it's not just about repenting of our love for money and our love for looking after ourselves and our love for recognition and that kind of stuff. It's not just turning away from that, but it's also turning towards something and picking up the mantle of ministry to help other people. And so maybe if you struggle with money issues, you love money, just start giving it away. It'll really cure that problem really fast. You know, find someone to help, and that that problem gets cured. So there's this list, and it has things like agape ministry and and uh, the Christmas hamper ministry and 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 um, the keep calm, keep uh, take care ministry. Uh, that's a new ministry. It hasn't even started yet. We're looking for people who are willing to help those with disabilities just to be more comfortable. Um, there's a number of people who have disabilities, and sometimes they struggle with this, that, or the next thing. And uh, we need people to just come alongside and ask if they need help. And a lot of times people with disabilities say, hey, no, I'm fine. I, in fact, don't bug me. You know. And so we need to be sensitive to that, of course. Um, but we also want to help those who need help. And so um, we're putting together a team for that. 
What else is on there? Oh, a helps ministry. In fact, this coming Saturday, we want to help someone clean up their apartment. And uh, if you're interested in saying, yeah, I'd like I'd like to be available so that someone can call me whenever there's a need. You know, the other day there was someone that needed their dryer fixed. And they called me, and I wish I just had someone to call to say, hey, can you go over and help this lady fix her dryer, you know? Uh, sometimes I get calls, can, I, can, can the church help me move, or can, can the church help me clean up my apartment or something? And so we, we're forming a team to do that very work. And so I just want to encourage you to say, are you involved in caring for the body? Oh, there's another ministry I hadn't even thought of. It's called the visitation ministry. Just write visitation ministry on that sheet. Just remembered it just now. <laughs> if you'd like to do visitation, you'd like to help with those who are sick, just those who are lonely, I want to come alongside and just visit them. Write it in there. I was going to put other on the sheet, but I forgot. Anyways. I want to encourage you not just to repent, but also to do the opposite and get involved and kill the lust of the flesh by offering it to God, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Let's pray. Thank you. Father, we just come before you today and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would touch our hearts just now. Lord, where, where have I been off base? Where have I been lying to your spirit, pretending to be one thing, but actually being another? Lord, I confess that to you. I pray that you would wash that out of my life. I don't want that to be there anymore, Lord. Please cleanse me by your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Forgive my sin, Lord. Take it away from me as far as the east is from the west. Remove it, Lord. Wash it with the blood of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to honor that blood that cleanses me. That I would not trample it underfoot by, by deciding to sin against you. And Lord, I pray that you would give me proper ministries of care where I don't worry about money. I don't worry about what it's going to cost me to do this ministry. But Lord, just give because you've given to me. And so Lord, I pray that this would be my heart's desire. To give because you gave to us. Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray that we would be a spirit-empowered church. Lord, I pray against any evil that is here, present, that is not confessed, that is not upright, and Lord, we pray that you would winnow it out. That you would remove it from us, either the sin or the sinner. But Lord, I pray that we would be a holy people. And so Lord, we lay ourselves before you. And Lord, we do ask for mercy and grace and the cleansing of sin. But we also ask, Lord, that your church would be holy and righteous and God-honoring. So that the Gentiles, so that the unbelievers would not blaspheme your name because of us. So, Father, come now by your Holy Spirit and cleanse us and make us whole. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.